I'd invite your attention to Isaiah chapter 30 for our scripture reading today. Isaiah chapter 30, we're going to be preaching a message I can simply call salvation and strength. Salvation and strength. And you'll see it, Isaiah 30, 15. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. And may God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. From the very title of this message, you should see that we're going to be talking about today the two pillars in the Christian life and experience, salvation and strength. Fallen humanity needs both. We need salvation to deliver us from our sins and from our captivity to the curse. Uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse 21 says that the creation itself will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. You see, salvation from Jesus Christ delivers us from the bondage of sin and the bondage of iniquity. It makes us subjects of God's eternal kingdom and fit subjects for eternal fellowship with Him in heaven. That means that our destiny is sure. And that's a wonderful thing. It means our destination is sure. We're bound to heaven. But until we get there, (laughs) we need strength. Salvation and strength. We need strength for the life that we're living. God doesn't intend for us to face this world with uh, a life full of fear and of weakness and anxiety. We need, we need strength. And the good news is that he has it for us. Ephesians chapter 6 says, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I've been looking a lot in Isaiah, Isaiah, and I just uh, looked again in Isaiah 30 this week, and I saw this passage about salvation and strength, and I said, you know, that's just what we all need to talk about today, salvation and strength. But in order to see this here in Isaiah chapter 30, we're going to have to spend a little time setting the scene because a lot was happening in this chapter. A lot was going on. And though it happened in Israel, and though that was long ago in a a country far, far away, yet the words of this passage could very well have been written to the United States of America. It could have been written to Cabot, Arkansas, to people right here today. Because the situation that they were in was not that much different than the situation that we find going on in our country today in a lot of ways. And so we'll look at that setting, and we don't have to look very far. We'll go back to verse 1. Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, who take counsel, but not of me, and who devise plans, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, who walk to go down to Egypt and have not asked my advice, to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. To put it simply, what was happening here? was that they had committed two sins that God enumerates in this passage. Their first sin was that they faced a calamitous situation. They faced a crisis in their nation. In their case, the crisis was an approaching army that was threatening the whole nation. It had wiped out nation after nation on their way to them. And they saw those armies approaching. But their first sin was they did not call on God. Sin number one, they didn't call on God. 
But then they were adding sin to sin. Their next sin was that they did call on Egypt. Egypt of all people. They called on Egypt. And so when God speaks to them of their sins, it's a double problem. They are rebellious, certainly, but... What they were doing is, is that they had entered into a, a conspiracy, if you will. They'd gone into the dark of night thinking that nobody could see what was happening as they thought about how they could conspire with Egypt of all places to provide them with the help that they needed against this approaching enemy. In 29 and 15, they said, Woe to those who seek deep to hide their counsel far from the Lord and their works are in the dark. They say, Who sees us? And who knows us? And we picture in our mind's eye a caravan leaving out of Jerusalem under the dark of night. All is done to make sure that it's as stealthy as possible, that they're being as quiet as possible. They've loaded these donkeys and camels down with gold. They have decided to send these men down to Egypt to hire them uh, to come and help them against this approaching army. It was all in the dark, all on the down low, all very quiet. They didn't want anybody to know. But God knew. <laughs> and God didn't keep it a secret. God told Isaiah. And we're going to see more about that in a few moments. And so as they were conspiring with Egypt and they had uh, took out the wealth then of the nation to send down there to hire them to come and help them, God saw it all. He gives us an idea of what's to come when he said in verse 7, we're going to call them Rehav Hem Shaveth. And uh, that is loosely translated, the proud one who helps by doing nothing. Uh, he tells them right up front, Egypt is not going to do anything. No matter what kind of promises they made you, no matter how much money you've sent them, Egypt will do nothing to help. So God sends them a scroll in verse 8. Now go write it before them on a tablet and note it on a scroll that it may be for time to come forever and ever. You see, this is one of those passages that God, though he wrote it down in the Old Testament long ago, he particularly says, I'm writing this down so that people can read it forever and ever and ever. And that projects the truth of this passage directly over to us today as something that you and I need to read and consider of a time when God's people didn't listen to God, but instead went seeking the information from everybody else but God. And of all people then, they end up in Egypt. Write it down then, verse 9, that this is a rebellious people, lying children. Any of you ever had children that lied? I'm not going to ask for you to raise your hand. Any of you have lying kids? Lying children. Children who will not hear the law of the Lord. You see, God saw what was in their heart. And the very idea that his people would refuse to turn to him and instead would turn to Egypt was a big, big deal. Uh, we see the donkeys and camels carrying that wealth down to Egypt. And as they were doing it, they were walking over the same ground that God had brought them out of so long ago. This was Egypt. The nation that had enslaved them. The nation that had killed their children and oppressed them. 
And there they go, walking to them with hats in hands and gold in their dog case, begging them of all people for help. He goes on then, verse 10, to describe what they were saying. Because he sends Isaiah literally down with this scroll. There they were, sneaking out in the desert. What a wonderful thing it must have been to them when, lo and behold, they walk into, of all people, Isaiah the prophet. Nothing that they had done was hidden from God. And there he is with a scroll. And what do they say? Verse 10. They say to the seers, do not see. To the prophets, do not prophesy to us right things. Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy deceits. Get out of the way. Turn aside from the path. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. Wow. They told Isaiah to stop telling them the things that were true and right and instead to speak smooth things and deceitful things. They saw, you see, the preaching of the truth of God as an obstacle to all the things that they were wanting to do. They wanted God out of the way. They wanted his word out of the way. They wanted his spokesman silenced. And what an incredible statement it is. Stop bringing God into this. This is politics. This is progress. Don't talk to us about God. Don't bring God into this. But God saw what they were doing. He heard what they were saying. But he also could see where this was headed. And so he wrote it down for them long before it happened. I mean, while this caravan is on the way, Isaiah the prophet meets them with the scroll, delivers unto them the word of God, and even as they say then, thus says, uh, don't uh, uh, speak to us and the Holy One of Israel anymore. Get the Holy One of Israel out of the way. So what's the next thing Isaiah says? Therefore, thus says the Holy One of Israel. Let me tell you something today. You can tell God to hush, uh, but it don't mean he's going to be quiet. God doesn't hush on command. We don't want to hear what God has to say. Well, they're going to hear it anyway. Uh, Therefore, thus saith the Holy One of Israel, because you despise this word and trust in oppression and perversity and rely on them, therefore this iniquity shall be to you like a breach ready to fall, a bulge in a high wall, whose breaking comes suddenly in an instant, and he shall break it like the breaking of the potter's vessel, which is broken in pieces. He shall not spare, so that there shall not be found among its fragments a shard to take fire from the hearth or to take water from the cistern. Now, when God speaks to them, what he says to them is, listen, uh, you're trying to build a wall with Egypt. In this alliance with Egypt, you're trying to uh, prevent this enemy from coming down upon you like a flood. But he tells them right up front, he said, the wall that you're building has a bolt in it. It's already breaking out. It is already weakening and about to fall. And when it falls, it's going to fall, number one, suddenly. And number two, it is going to fall absolutely, catastrophically. So much so, he says, that there won't be a stone left, not a single one. Big enough to carry a, a few coals from the fire. Not a, not a piece of anything even left, enough to splash water out of the cistern. There is nothing going to be left. This is all going to collapse. One crack, one loud pop. And this whole thing was going to come down. They might have been saying somehow, you know, this may not work completely, but at least we'll get some good out of it. No, they weren't going to get anything good out of it. It wasn't going to help them at all. 
There would be absolutely no good to his people from rejecting the truth of God and turning instead to Egypt. And God told them before it happened. And he wrote it down for future generations to see. Now, that brings us to our text then today. In the midst of that situation, this is what God had to say. Thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength, but you would not. And you said, No, for we will flee on horses, therefore you shall flee. And we will ride on swift horses, therefore those who pursue you shall be swift. One thousand shall flee at the threat of one. Before, at the threat of five, you shall flee until you are left as a pole on top of a mountain and as a banner on a hill. So what God told them then was that this alliance that you worked, uh, that you worked out, uh, these sin to sin that you brought in, you didn't turn to me. You instead turned to the world and, and sought help from them. You didn't listen to me, but you're listening to Egypt. But that's not going to work. It's going to fail catastrophically. But even worse, when that fails, you're going to be put to flight. The same people who turned to Egypt would turn to horses. Hey, horses are fast. We'll run. But no matter how fast the horse is, it's always a faster horse. Unless maybe your secretariat. But even then, I mean, eventually they're going to get tired. And the enemies, that was the point God was making. Uh, they would eventually run out of run. They'd run, they couldn't run anymore. They'd be afraid and there wouldn't be anything they could do. He pictures them then as being like a banner on a mountain or a pole on a mountain and surrounded them by their enemies, isolated, helpless, and afraid. Perhaps most significantly, he tells him that a thousand of them would run from one and from five. Five would put a whole nation to flight. What he's describing is a time when an incredibly small minority begins to drive everything and a whole nation of people are afraid of an incredibly small group. Why? Because they didn't return to God. But in the midst of all of that, God gives them a simple message. In returning and rest, you shall be saved. And quietness and confidence shall be your strength. God then addresses the two needs that they have. And the two needs that we have, salvation and strength. In this case, salvation was going to come to them uh, by returning and by rest. Returning to him and by resting in him. Thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest, you shall be saved. There are times when the Scripture uses the term salvation in reference to our immediate situation, and that was certainly the case then. They needed deliverance from this army that was approaching them. They had a very real enemy and a very real threat and a very real crisis for their nation, and they needed deliverance from God. And yet instead of turning to God, they had turned to Egypt, the very last place in the world that they should have been listening to, the very last place that they should have turned to. And as a result from that, then their situation got worse and worse and worse. 
But always when we think of salvation, there's not only the view of time, but there's also the view of eternity because, listen, it would not have done any good for them to be saved from the Assyrian army only to die and go to hell. It won't do us any good to be saved uh, from a, a COVID outbreak only to die and spend eternity in hell. Put in any threat that we want to put out there, very real threats, very powerful threats, th things that threaten you and threaten me. But let's understand, God, yes, can deliver us from those, but unless there is that ultimate and eternal deliverance of salvation, then we think about how lost, how incredibly lost people would be. It is of incredible import then to know how to be saved. And the first place it begins is with returning to God. In returning to God, there is the idea of repentance. It means to turn from our sin and to turn to God. And oftentimes, people choose to hold on to their sin instead of turning to the Savior who can deliver them. But what sin is so sweet? We get blind over time to how despotic sin is and how terrible it is and how deadly it is and how defaming and how destructive it is. And we hang on to it when all the while there's our Savior saying, Come to me. Come to me. Are you holding on to some sin this morning that's keeping you from being saved? Don't make that eternal mistake. God says, turn to me. Turn to me. Turn from your sins. Return to him. Maybe you're talking to somebody this morning. That maybe you've been away from the Lord for a long time, and in your heart you know it. You may not be repenting from some terrible sin. What comes to us more frequently than some terrible sin is just our own self-reliance. We begin to think that we've got our life on cruise control. Everything's kind of going along good, and, and yeah, we, we kind of need the Lord, but we really don't think about it. We don't maybe feel that great sense of dependence upon Him. And if we're not careful, we can find ourselves making the same mistake that Israel made so long ago and that we'll listen to anybody but we're not on our knees calling out to God for His help and for His wisdom. Maybe we're devising plans of our own, but we're really not seeking God and His help. In the midst of all that, God calls to us with a simple plan. Return to Him. Return to God. In returning to me, He said, there's salvation. Prodigal son came to himself and he came to God. And we follow that exact same formula. Before we ever return to God, we'll return to ourselves. And I pray this morning that you and I come to ourselves, come to our senses, see where we are and see our need for God. But not only is there returning, but there's also rest. Rest in him. Because you see, it's possible for us to come to God by faith and call upon Him to save us, but somehow we begin to think that maybe our salvation is still up to us. And we've got to live it all out in a certain way or we've got to do all the right things and, and never mess up because if we do, we'll lose it. Well, I want to tell you what Jesus told you in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. He said, come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly at heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus Christ not only offers you salvation, but he offers you rest for your soul. Amen. And you can rest in him.
But that is also true in our life as well. Paul wrote the church at Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and he said, And to you who are troubled, rest with us. You see, Paul was aware that Jesus Christ is coming back to this world, that we are anticipating his return, that the King of glory is still on his throne. And he says, We can rest no matter what our trouble is. We can rest. There can be a place of rest in your heart and in your soul because we know God. We know God's truth. And we're living by faith, not by fear. When we return to God, then we rest in God. That's our salvation. But then there's also the need of strength. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved in quietness and confidence shall be your strength, but you would not. Verse 18, he says, Therefore the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you, and therefore he will be exalted that he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Us two great things in that passage. Number one, God says, I'll wait. I'll wait. <laughs> How many of you know God has all the time in the world? Amen. I'll wait. Sometimes we wonder, well, God, why do you make us wait? Maybe we ought to ask ourselves, how many times have we asked God to wait? How many times have we put God on the back burner? How many times have we put him aside while we've pursued our own path? God says, I'll wait. I'll wait. Quietness does not refer to being silent. I'm glad that's the, that's the case, and a lot of you are too. Uh, quietness is a state that is the product of our rest in him. We all saw the Gulf of Mexico with whipped into a tumult this last week. It was uh, terrible, those huge waves of wind and the howling storm. Uh, but I've seen that same Gulf of Mexico as flat as a pancake. It's barely, barely with the slightest wave to even tell you that you were close to the ocean. There can be a mighty tempest. But there can be stillness and calm and smoothness. And quietness and confidence shall be your strength. There is a time for us to be still and know that God is God. Just be still, quiet, calm and smooth. There's a lot of people who get loud and boisterous sometimes about how much they believe God, and they're not always in a whole lot better shape than any of the rest of us are. I'm not going to stand up here today and tell you that my heart is always quiet and smooth. It's not. It's not. I know about the tumults. I, I know about the waves and the storms, and I feel them too. There are things that come that shake me, and just like there are things that come that shake you, but I want you to know this morning that God Almighty tells us that our strength is found in the quiet. There's a time for us just to be still. And also then, not only in the quietness, but also the confidence. The 
confidence that is a product of a person who's living in the truth of who our God is and what our God promises us. Listen, I believe in the providence of God. I believe that God rules over my personal destiny and yours as well. I don't, I don't believe that God is ever caught off guard. Do you? Do you ever think that? Doesn't matter. I might occasionally pray to him. Now, Lord, you might not be aware of this. No, God's, God's always aware. And he has our situation well in hand. And when I say I believe in God's providence, I mean that I believe that God is the sovereign Lord over all the universe. And if God says I live, I live. If God says I die, I die. And to live is Christ and to die is gain. That is, brothers and sisters, the quiet confidence that rules in the heart of people who know God, who know who He is, and know what His promises are to us. But horses are fast. Man. When you listen to the world and all the world does is tell you to run and hide. But then you've ran and you've hidden. And you're exhausted from all the terror and the fear. Guess what? There's God waiting on you. And he tells you again and again this passage. When you call on me, I'll hear you. When you call to me, I will hear you. In verse 20, he says, Though the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction. Have you ever heard about living on bread and water? Bread and water. That's a sign of adversity and affliction. Though I give you, God says, the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teachers will not be moved into a corner anymore. But your eyes shall see your teachers, your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it, whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. God sometimes gives us the bread of adversity and the water of affliction. He puts us on a bread and water diet, not to lose weight, but to get us ready to call on him. We put his teachers in the corner, get out of my way, I don't want to hear this. Not anymore. There's nothing like a diet of adversity and affliction to say, you know, I really need to hear from God. And when you do, God says, you know, you'll hear that voice from behind you. <laughs> Uh, that teacher that's not far off somewhere, somebody over in the corner, they'll be right there behind you because they're seeing every step you take. No, no, not that way. No, 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 no. Uh-uh. Go this way. He'll lead us in the right way. Return, rest, quietness, confidence, blessing, grace, mercy, and favor. All these things are promised to us when we are resting in God, when we return to God, when we wait then in quiet confidence on the Lord. God promises us all of these blessings. What does Egypt give you? Nothing. Remember, Egypt has always been a sign of bondage to sin and bondage in the world. What does the world have to offer us, really? Nothing. 
Well, not exactly nothing. I went to Walmart on Thursday. Anybody else go to Walmart Thursday? I went to Walmart Thursday. Did you go, preacher, to stock up? No, my dog needed food. I needed dog food. Yeah, a hurricane was coming. I, yeah, what do you do? I needed dog food. While I was in there, I checked for disinfectant spray. There wasn't any. Wipes, there wasn't any. I didn't even buy toilet paper. I wasn't there to stock up. I needed dog food. I did find a pork roast on sale, and it sure was good. Like that. While I was standing in line to check out, there was a guy I just struck up a conversation and said, Man, 2020, who'd ever thought, here we are, got a hurricane in Arkansas. They've never had a hurricane in Arkansas before. Now, I really thought about being quiet at that point in time, but I'm, you know, I have a right to remain silent, but I don't have the ability. I just, I just couldn't do it. <laughs> I said, man, don't you remember Gustav? 2008, I, just, a, just a few days later, 2008, folk, it rained nearly a foot in Jacksonville from Hurricane Gustav. That was just 12 years ago, but it's like it never happened. Yeah, Arkansas gets hurricanes sometimes. When they hit in Louisiana and Texas, they're a lot likely to come right over us. And trees will go down, wind will blow. So what did I do? I went to Walmart, got my dog food, came down, got my dog fed, ate my supper, and I went to bed. Not because I wasn't aware of the danger. I'm not making fun of you. If you were hunkered down in your, in your safe spot, I, I understand. But what I want us to think, folk, is that the world operates under fear mode all the time because they don't know God. They don't know who God is. They don't know how powerful God is. They don't know the promises that God has made to us as his people. And so all they have to offer is just fear and fear and fear. And when their governmental leaders are operating by fear, and thank God we've got some good Christian men and women up there, we need more of them. Amen? Amen. <laughs> we need to vote to put them in office. But when we have so many people in leadership and so many people in the news media and all they know is fear, and they just spread out this hysteria everywhere. And I want you to know, folk, it can affect you and I as God's people. But we don't have to let it. I'm not talking about living recklessly. Okay? I believe... And that God will give us, that's what I talk about, having wisdom. Wisdom from above. And oh, how we need wisdom from above. God had a simple plan. If any of you lack wisdom, you don't know what to do, what do you do? Ask me. Ask me and I'll give you wisdom. And so here we are as God's people. How do we respond to a threat? Number one, we call on God and we seek his wisdom. Number two, we keep believing him. Because we know that God gives salvation and God gives strength if we will return to Him, rest in Him, be quiet and confident. There is salvation and strength available. God will lead us to things that we need to do that we can to protect ourselves, to help ourselves, and to help others. He does that all the time. Sometimes people ask me why I wear one of these. Listen, I, I personally believe that God has given us these things. 
even though they came from China. I'll thank God for them. And if they can help me prevent the spread of COVID-19, then I, I can do that. Could God give us something that we can use to help? Sure he does. Sure he does. And as God's people then, we have the wisdom to do those things, see things, then that we can do that maybe will help in this situation. Because the other side, all they've got is fear and hysteria. And then the third ingredient, which is violence. That's all that there is when you turn away from God and God's truth. Let's be a people who return to God, who rest in quiet confidence as we experience in God's salvation and God's strength. Do you know you're saved today? Don't live a moment without knowing for sure that you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. Jesus Christ went to Calvary, died on the cross for your sins and mine. He was buried, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again, and he gives a simple message. Whoever believes in me shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you trusted in him so that you received him as your own personal Savior by faith? By faith. Have you done that? Do you know that you're saved? Have maybe we turned in the wrong direction? Have we been listening to counsel without asking God? Maybe it's time for us then to return to Him, the source of salvation and strength. Let's stand together, please.